Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about the things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner, and along with my co-host, K.W. Taylor, we are welcoming back Amanda Bales for the second part of our interview with her. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, you might want to go and do that now, but now we're going to welcome back Amanda. So my second part of that question was, do you write things other than short stories? I do. I'm like, maybe not super well. So, <laughs> so I do write, um, and I've been, I've been going more and more towards nonfiction. I think nonfiction always, I mean, there are two reasons why I kind of stayed away from it for a long time. For one, it's, and I'm going to draw a very strange parallel here in a minute. But for one, there was this weird thing that was happening in sort of like grab programs when I was coming up, because again, I'm old, which was that nonfiction, I think because it, it had been kept out of the academy for a long time. It was a, you know, it was one that was sort of like surging um, when I was there. And like, I think because of that, they had this very real, like all the nonfiction writers I knew, all the, the ones who I would sort of listen to, all the ones I would read, talk about nonfiction were very much like, well, this is the truth. Everything else is a lie. And this is the truth. And I don't agree with that at all. Right. Like, of course not. Like truth is like this whole thing. And like, what yeah. are you talking about? So I was always like, I don't know. I always found that sort of like silly and weird. So it didn't appeal to me in that way. And then also, like, I genuinely just didn't think I had a lot to say nonfiction wise. I was like, I don't know, man. Like, it's like stuff happens. And, and I just, I want smarter people to handle it. <laughs> I think I've gone a little bit more towards nonfiction now because a, I think a lot of that noise about it being truth and other things not being truth or whatever has calmed down. And also because I think so, there's some, there's a lot of really interesting stuff that's happened in maybe the last five years in terms of, of nonfiction. And it's not always narrative. You know, there's a lot of like really cool stuff happening with like lyric essays and whatnot. So I think that, you know, I do, I write some nonfiction. I'm working on a, a book length nonfiction project. You know, as we talked about, when it's like a new medium or you're trying something new, you're going to suck at it for a while. So it'll be a while before I'm ready to even talk about that project. Yeah. So yeah, and I've published a few small pieces. I've got one coming up here in a, in a month, I think, of nonfiction. And then I wrote a lot of poetry and I still write some poetry. And I, you know, like I am proud of it and I think it does what it needs to do and what I want it to do. But I also recognize that it is... You know, it is also very regional and it is sort of more in like a pro style, I think, than a lot of poets would necessarily want. It also doesn't, you know, it's not, I think my fiction is stronger than my poetry, but I still write poems because there are times when that's the medium that captures what I'm wanting to say or what I've seen or feel or whatever a little right. bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I totally understand that. Okay. But now I'm a little afraid to ask my next question, which is, what are you working on? Because <laughs> if you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to. <laughs> oh, no, that's okay. I'm always working on a million things at a time. Okay. Um, in the same way that I'm always reading a million things at a time. Yep. So the nonfiction book, yeah, I'm not going to talk about it because okay, I suck at it. And B, it's a, it's a pretty big project I'm going to have to work on for a while. But fiction-wise, I'm actually working on a follow-up novel to the story collection. Okay. So... 
in the very final story of this collection that not spoilers, but whatever. <laughs> so in the very final story. So there's there's a gay woman who has who in the very first story, basically like she and her partner have left Pacola. They've gone to live in Alaska. And then, you know, this many years later in 2016, uh, Ruth, her name's Ruth, she has to come home because her sister's died and her sister has a son and their her mother's just suffering from dementia. And there's just all this stuff that she has to take care of because she's, you know, the only sort of adult family member left who can do so. And also maybe because she feels a certain responsibility, maybe she even also kind of wants to be back home for a little while and see what it's like. So this is the reason why she's come back. And then in the very final moments of the book, what happens is that so she's brought one of her dogs with her and she has this migraine that has really disoriented her and she kind of can't see. And she kind of, you know, she goes outside because something's wrong, something's off. And she finds that her dog's been shot. And then there's a gun put to her head. And she says, but she doesn't know who it is. And the final moment is basically her saying the names of people she thinks it might be, but she doesn't know. And then, like, that's the end of the book. Like, that's the end of the, the story. And so. <laughs> yes. Yes. For, uh, you know, for those of you who, you know, buy the rest of the book. See what happens. <laughs> so the novel is her partner back in Alaska getting the call saying, like, hey, she's missing. Have she come back up there? What's going okay. on? And then her partner has to come back down and, like, figure out what's going on. Okay. Yeah. Um, that sounds interesting. but <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah, I, th- I think I sort of blacked out that <laughs> the end of the story. <laughs> yeah. I... Um, <laughs> no, it's okay. Because it's, it's sort of what I want to talk about. And I know this conversation is a little bit, like, all over the place. but That's okay. That's okay. We're going back to to talking about the book. the The book is very vivid, and it makes you feel a lot of things. But sometimes that feeling is bleak. Yeah. <laughs> so, can you talk a little bit about, I guess, the atmosphere of the book and what you set out to do, um, and how it came from, I guess, your experience living in Oklahoma. <laughs> If you want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do. Yes. So, you know, you ha- you were very kind enough to, A, read this book and also leave me a review on Goodreads in which you basically say, like, you know, I've been trying to stick to, like, happier things and this is real bleak. And so <laughs> I shared that with my friend Brooke, who's known, known my writing for forever, because it's such a good review and I was so thankful for you. Oh, thank you. And And she was like, yeah, I feel like you should, like, you know... Just have pictures of baby animals at the end of your book just to like <laughs> make up for what you just put people through. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, it's not, it's not a bad idea to be like, hey, if you buy a picture of my book, I'll also just send you a picture of my dog being very cute. There you go. As like a way to make up for this. <laughs> yes, as you know, I agree that there is a need for, you know, joyous books and joyous experiences from marginalized populations, especially, right? So queer joy and you know black joy and brand like just all these sort of joyous experiences are necessary because we've had so many narratives that aren't that i think for this book in particular because of where it's set and because of the genre that i'm working in and because of you know my own influences and the southern gothic is is huge it just looms huge in my life so when you're talking about atmosphere i'm like yeah i think that you know, the Southern Gothic is probably the biggest influence, you know, in terms of like sort of literary genre kind of stuff 
Um, and that started very early with me reading, you know, like the Brontes too early, which isn't Southern Gothic, but still like, you know, yeah. that kind of like Gothic like <laughs> atmosphere and falling in love with all of that, along with, you know, watching too much Unsolved Mysteries and lots of other things. <laughs> so I think that for this experience at this time for these people, there, there isn't a lot of just straightforward joy in these moments. And the thing about short stories is that they're always significant moments in time. Right. They, they aren't like a lifetime and they aren't, you know, lot, like they tend to not be lots of different moments or they tend to not show like, you know, lots of different parts of their lives. They tend to be like, hey, here's something that's very significant that has happened to them. And so for a lot of, you know, queer people, especially in this part of Oklahoma, like a lot of those big significant moments are not necessarily moments of joy. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I was thinking about this in terms of there's this interview that I really love that's talking about Flannery O'Connor and, you know, people talking about how, well, yeah, of course, she's racist. To deny that would be to say that, like, racism isn't as powerful as it is. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing's true with, like, homophobia and especially in a place that is that, like, white evangelism has such a stranglehold on that it does in Oklahoma, which is like. I mean, people talk about the Bible Belt. You can talk about, like, the South all you want. If you want to see a stranglehold of white evangelism specifically, like, go to that state. I mean, like, Oral Roberts, et cetera, et cetera. And the way that that affects queer people, because it's it's people genuinely thinking that they are doing the work of the Lord, right, to Mm -hmm. stigmatize and abuse and try to convert, right, like, queer people. And... And especially in like 1988, which is when it starts, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, coming back to 2016 with like, you know, this, this sort of permission structure of Trumpism, right? Mm-hmm. Which is what I, which is what I always think of it as. To sort of, you know, to deny that I think is, is, would be wrong for this book, which doesn't mean that there are other books that should do that. Right. You know, one of my, one of my second favorite podcasts to this one, of course. <laughs> One of my of favorite podcasts is The Trillbillies, and I think, you know, Tanya is like this perfect example of someone who's just living queer joy <laughs> in the middle of Trump country, and I think about her all the time, so I'm just like, yeah, like, you know, I should, I should, be, I should be finding some characters who are just sort of like doing this, right, like, in my books, but for, for this particular one, because it is, you know, not every book is every angle or right, every right. place. Exactly. So for this one, for their experiences, they're not, it's not, it is going to be very bleak. Yeah, and that absolutely makes sense. And like you said, not every book can be everything to everyone or present every perspective. So yeah, it it definitely makes a lot of sense for what the book is. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you had like called it romance, I would have been like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's where, you know, dabbling in other genres and things like that can give you a different way into sort of the same area or the same problem or the same situations and things like that. I mean, the funny thing is, I, I also sort of grew up on the Brontes and people of that era, uh, Thomas Hardy. My mom gave me Thomas Hardy in high school, and I was just like, oh, this is so sad. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and Edith Wharton is my favorite, favorite author. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I discovered her in, I think, junior year of high school. So I'm not a stranger to bleak stories, and they, they do have a, a special place in my heart, I think. 
my mom has always been like, why do you like the sad stories so much? (laughs) But I do love joyous things as well. And I, yeah, even though we talk a lot about the positive aspects of pop culture on this show and we want to keep it upbeat and everything, there's definitely room for all kinds of stories and stories that make you feel all different kinds of ways. So yeah. And so your follow-up novel, will it be sort of a similar atmosphere? (laughs) So I think the, so it will be in the same like universe, but it's Kendall coming down. And I just think like Kendall, so Kendall is the other sort of like main character that is Ruth's partner um, who's back in Alaska. And for as much as Kendall, you know, maybe is a little bit harsher than Ruth. And in some ways, you know, she's the one who has sort of like less hope for people to change and, you know, maybe has all these kinds of things. I think like, and maybe because of that, she's a little bit better equipped in my mind as I'm writing this book anyway, to come back to that town and, a, you know, survive it and also sort of find things within it that are maybe not, you know, romance novel joyous right but find things within it and be be sort of like better suited to navigate it in a lot of ways so Mm -hmm. i think that in that in that final story especially like ruth is just really you know she is distraught you know she's had this fight with her nephew and then she's been pulled over by the police and harassed by the police and you know trump has just been elected and there's this sounds weird, but there's this rabbit infestation in the town um, yes. <laughs> that she's having to try to deal with that no one's helping her out with. I know that, like, everyone's like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? But, like, yeah, that's a thing that happens. It makes sense when you read it. Yes, thank you. Uh, the name of the, the story is Bunnytown, USA. So, like, all these things are happening, and she just, you know, she's emotionally done, kind of, right? Like, she's just... Yeah. She's sort of tethered. And it's also, you know, partially because of this past trauma, because she went through conversion therapy. And, you know, and that's, that's also why she gets migraines. Like that's, you know, there's just a lot that's going on there. Whereas I think Kendall, she, because she kind of has these hard emotional borders that she's already built up. So yes, it is going to be sort of in the similar vein, but it's, I don't think it's going to be quite as dark and maybe quite as bleak as the story collection. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. (laughs) But how how do I want to phrase this? Sometimes I feel like in darker stories like that, it's even more important to show little bits of joy. And it doesn't mean as much if they go through this whole dark story and then the end, they're sort of deus ex machina and everything's right in the world, you know, but it's it's a very timely, it's very timely to what we're living in now, both the pandemic and sort of the political atmosphere. And sometimes it's just about you have to find little pockets of joy and get yourself, string yourself along from day to day. So yeah, I think there can be something really powerful about that in storytelling. There's no question there. It's just... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think... And I'm going to... Oh, Lord. I'm going to really mess up. So Jack, Jack Gilbert is the poet that I'm thinking why I just wrote a thing about him, like literally, like two weeks ago, I wrote a whole thing about Jack Gilbert. <laughs> so Jack Gilbert is this poet that never really struck, he just wasn't one of my guys. I don't know how else to say that. Like, you know, aware of him, like, you know, read him a bunch, understood and also appreciated what he did. But just wasn't one of the people I kind of like held close to my heart or like, you know, printed the poems out and put them by my computer. You know, yeah, it's not one of those guys. <laughs> 
But he does have this poem called A Brief for the Defense. Uh, and I've seen it make the rounds a lot uh, recently, which is pretty interesting for a very old poem to do. But within it, he, like, I, I will butcher the line, so I'm not even going to try. But he <laughs> he's basically making the argument that you have to dare to have joy within, and the, the phrase is, the ruthless furnace of this world. And I think about that all the time, like the ruthless furnace of this world is just this phrase that goes through me like a lot. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, again, it's been passed around a lot lately. Yeah. Is because there is this sense of, yeah, you, you, you have to find pleasure. You have to find delight. You have to do these things. And, you know, you don't want to do it to the point where you're ignoring what's going on, especially for people who, you know, are in a more perilous situation than yourself, but you, also don't want to fall into such despair, right, that you that you then, you know, don't have the emotional or intellectual or, you know, ethical, however you want to think about it, fortitude to go out and fight for people mm -hmm. because of the ruthless furnace, right? Like, all of those things are important. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, I will have to check out that poem. Maybe not all of Jack Gilbert's stuff. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, uh, well, anyway, I won't, I won't blaspheme it. But yes, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just send you a link to it. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah. Are there any other writing topics you want to touch on? I don't. I don't think so. I do want to quickly put in a plug for the fact that uh, Wiley Cash, who is an author who's a huge influence, and he's also just such a good human. I'm sort of always astonished at such a good human. I'm like, you have no reason to be as good of a human as you are. You're like a, you know, cisgender New York Times bestselling white dude in the South. Like, you can go, like, you know, do whatever. But he's such a good person. And uh, and his new book is uh, coming out. It's called When Ghosts Come Home. And it is, like, I'm very excited for it. So I just want to just throw that out there to listeners. If they do, for whatever reason, pick up my book, you know, and... Maybe one something that actually has a little bit more sort of like hope and joy and humor in it because he's very good at that. I think that like that's going to be a good one to pick up as well. Okay. Yeah. I will keep an eye out for that then. Yeah. Besides Wiley Cash, is there is there any pop culture like movies, TV, music, books, anything that you're really into right now? And you want to give a shout out? Oh, I mean, you know. I consume a lot of everything. And there's, I don't know that there's anything you guys honestly haven't covered. I was, I was listening the other day and I was just like, and I often have like the same views. Okay. That's and cool. interested that you guys do. So I think if I did, I would just be like, yeah, you know, like you guys did in this episode. And then in this episode. So everyone's already, everyone who's listening has already heard all that. Okay. Yeah. So no, I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily think that there's anything specific that I want to throw out there. I do again. So if you if you are someone who you know reads this collection or are interested in my work, there's uh, there's this whole circuit of music, and it started in Oklahoma, and it's you know it sort of spread through Texas, New Mexico, Arkansas. It kind of came up a little bit in Colorado, and it's called Red Dirt Music. And if you're interested in the soundtrack <laughs> that would go along with like this kind of story, um, and with a few other writers as well, so there's a a band that's no longer together, unfortunately, called the Turnpike Troubadours. They actually, I steal a line from them in a story. Bray Wiley Hubbard gets thrown out there. He's just like, you know, old Texas guy. So I think that it would be a cool thing if you are someone who is not familiar with that genre. I will say that, they're, you know, I would stick to like Jason Bolin and the Stragglers, Turnpike Troubadours, Ray Wiley Hubbard. 
because there's definitely some folks because it is it, it is it has become a regionally successful genre that mm-hmm. have kind of like bro countryed it up a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and like th- th- that's real bad. So don't just type in like red dirt music and then like you know hit play on the first thing because it's probably going to be <laughs> something that's like. I've got a girl in Daisy Dukes with some red solo cups and we're going to take our cane poles. And I'm like, who has cane poles? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but if you stick to like some of those folks I just mentioned, I think that you're going to have like a nice little introduction there. Awesome. So that might be, yeah. Like in terms of like what that place sounds like, I think that uh, it's, it's very good music for that kind of music. And that might be a good thing to do. That's awesome. Have you, thought about like putting together a spotify playlist or anything like that that you could share i haven't that's a great idea (laughs) (laughs) i actually i think like even on the back of the book it's like hey go to my website you'll see more about the references and i like have not done that (laughs) i barely got the website up in time yeah and then the semester started etc so right yeah i should do that i should absolutely do a spotify playlist that's an excellent idea thank you you're gonna write that down yeah (laughs) Maybe by the time this airs, it will, you'll have the playlist up. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent idea. Awesome. Well, speaking of your website, where can people find you online? So it's very easy. It's amandabales.com. And it's Amanda like you would normally spell it. And Bales is B as in boy. And then A-L-E-S as in bales of hay. Yeah, because I'm from <laughs> Oklahoma. So it's super easy to remember. Dot com. That's where I'm at. Cool. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We appreciate oh, you Oh, thank coming. you so much for inviting me. And thank you so much for reading the book and leaving that excellent review, especially when you publish with an indie press and, you know, when you're writing a short story collection with like, which like most people don't read. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always like, well, it's going to be like my mom's going to read it and maybe like a couple of people I went to my MFA with and I'm just going to have to be happy with that. So like <laughs> the minute that anyone outside of my, you know, social sphere, like, you know, reads it, has things to say about it, it's always exciting. Well, you're very welcome. As an indie author myself, I always love to support other indie authors. And I do like to push outside of my comfort zone a little bit because I, I read short stories, but usually genre short stories. So this was new and exciting. And I really did, even though I called it bleak, I really did enjoy the reading experience. I'm not, it is bleak. Like there's no, there's no, it's, you can't deny that, but I'm glad that, you know, sort of, even though we are in this place that we are in where bleakness might not be something that you reach for yes you still manage to enjoy it like that that speaks a lot and thank you you're welcome and thanks for being here thank you again to amanda for being here next week we'll be talking about the peacock series girls five eva and the netflix show the chair as well as discussing women in recent horror films our theme music is by Joseph McDane. You can find us on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter, at Carrie Gessner, and at Podcast. If you'd rather email us, you can do that at PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. And you can find our website at PositivelyPopCulture.com. And please, if you're enjoying the show, we would appreciate if you would rate us and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Stay healthy and safe, and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.